Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to the Not Stove edition of Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for lack of insight and for baseless opinion. My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of one Mr. Scott Magnus. Now, this is episode 146, but Scott, can you help me out with the date? December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope you are living infamously. Through the radio call there of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Folks, it is not 1941, though. It is Hot Stove Edition 2015. I believe I believe this is not Stove Edition. Uh, and, until it starts warming up, this is not Stove. So we're just going to give it like a half H, basically. That's right. Okay. The, the, the grade is incomplete. Gotcha. All right. If you're listening to our voices right now, you're probably doing it at our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. It's also possible that you found us in the Baltimore Sports Report Network, as we are proud members of the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which can be found at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. Also, you should be finding us on other places, such as baseballtalkradio.com. You can also catch us on third-party platforms such as Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and iTunes. And please, if you have found us there, make sure that you uh, rate and review this show. It helps us greatly. Lastly, social media. We're, we're everywhere. Look, believe it or not, we are on that Google Plus thing, Facebook. But the best place to find us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And Scott, with that, I think it's time to squeeze this into 140 characters. Let's check out what's going on this week on the Twitters. First, on the Twitters, um, we had a, I guess, a, a reaction to Zach Greinke signing with the Diamondbacks. And it had me, well, it was an arrested development of her? So Shifty-eyed. Yeah. Her? Shifty-eyed her. Yeah, so... Uh, for anyone that doesn't recognize that, that is a arrested development uh, reaction. Uh, this comes from Kirsten Cooper. Um, you can follow her at kdizzle0317. Hashtag baseball and hashtag arrested development tweets are the best kind of tweets. I think that's absolutely spot on, but there's a problem. What's that? We used to have a great resource for this. Uh, we, we did, um, and then they promptly decided to retire. So... Next summer, boys, we're looking forward to hearing your voices once again on this this program. That's right. The Orioles Spastics podcast. We are shaming you back into action. Uh, next, I want to go to a another reaction tweet. This one came uh, in reaction to a tweet that the Orioles put out. They, of course, tweet at Orioles and asked fans why they're excited for hashtag O's Fan Fest. This comes from Adam Berg, who tweets at real underscore ice underscore 
Berg. That's clever. I like what you did there. At Orioles, I'm excited because it's a chance to get together with thousands of others of other O's fans and celebrate our Orioles together. Hashtag O's Fans Fest. I, I love that. I love that. You know what? Fan Fest, I haven't been super psyched about it. Um, and it may have something to do with the fact that the team is, is not really doing much for a while. But once you step inside Orioles Fan Fest and you feel the excitement of all the other people that are just as sick and twisted as you are to be there in the winter celebrating the baseball team, it's pretty cool. Next comes from, this is a little bit of a spin-off, Jake. This comes from Bake Magazine. You can follow them at Bake Mag. Otterbein's Bakery and At Flying Dog are teaming up to release a cookie-inspired beer set. Jake? Decided to say this for the twat this week. Uh, I'm drinking a Belgian-style pale ale, which is paired with a orange Orioles-flavored white chocolate chip cookie. Yum, yum, delicioso. That is the sound of Scott Magnus chewing a cookie yep. and drinking a beer. Mm-hmm. This is a fine audio presentation. Yep. That's my job here. We saved uh, we saved the uh, drink of the week just for just for that moment. one occasion. Yep, Jake, what are you doing this week? By the I'm, way, I'm I'm drinking a loose cannon. Well, I'm going to keep eating my cookie, and uh, I'm going to let you go to the next tweet. <laughs> All right. Next, we have a tweet from Mike Petriello, who tweets, of course, at Mike underscore Petriello. Source colon. And by the way, source colon is gonna is gonna be all over the place during the winter meetings. Source. Teams that have open jobs and rotation are talking to unemployed starting pitchers. Thank God, Mike. Wow. Mike, I, if, I'm so glad you're here. Finger on the pulse. Uh, next tweet comes from Dan Zabrowski. You can follow him at D Zabrowski. Uh, this is a series of tweets. Let's assume for this exercise that the O's spend $25 million a year and bring back Davis. Okay, great. After doing that, the O's are now at $142 million of payroll with essentially the same roster that won 81 and 81 minus its best pitcher. I have a problem with this tweet. Yeah. My problem is that I, I don't have a bucket to cry and the tears will just land on the floor. Why does that have to be so darn logical? <laughs> All right. Next tweet comes from Julie DeCaro. You can follow her at Julie DeCaro. Hashtag Cubs interested in Kevin Gossman. Baltimore interested in both Solar and Bayas. Um, interesting. Jorge um, Solar has actually come up recently, um, actually on Camden Depot, where they were discussing the aspect of the Orioles potentially putting together a trade for Gossman. Baez is probably one of the top 10 prospects in baseball and would be, be a pretty decent shortstop second baseman. I don't see this trade ever going down outside of fantasy world, but it's these kind of speculative tweets that go out during winter meetings that gets all of us flustered and typing in 140 characters a lot saying, I can't believe they would even be thinking about trading Gossman. But it's fun to think about. Sure. Next, we have a tweet from Nick Cafordo. Uh, Nick Cafardo, who, of course, tweets at Nick Cafardo. The Orioles have hired Red Sox, former Red Sox senior advisor Jeremy Capstein as a consultant to GM Dan Duquette. Meh, big deal. So what? Who cares? These guys weren't together at Boston at any point, were they? Mm, I don't think. Actually, da, 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 da. see, Dan Duquette is such ancient yes, history yes. for the Red Sox. He was part of the Red Sox organization. But you know why this is important? Why is this important? This is the same guy that you see at the Boston Red Sox games that's wearing the yellow headphones, red fine <laughs> headphone plate. So we have got the headphone the time, time traveler. traveler. Yeah. So we've got the time traveler. Everything is going to go right for us this year. Uh, next tweet, Jake. Next, we have a tweet from uh, former 
Oriole, Jeremy Guthrie, who, of course, tweets at the real Jay Guts. It says, perfect. I'm all set after last season. Uh, hashtag career worst. And this, of course, is in reference to a tweet that basically stated that another pitcher uh, had just gotten a truckload of money for having uh, some, we'll call them questionable stats. Yeah. It's nice to see a guy like Jeremy Guthrie have a sense of humor about the fact that he had a, a not-so-good season. Not-so-great season, but got a ring out of it. Uh, last tweet comes from Fangrass. There was a community post that was posted there uh, regarding payroll allocation throughout Major League Baseball. So they looked at 10 years of growing Major League Baseball payrolls. And funny enough, the Baltimore Orioles over the past 10 years have shown to be right in the middle with a bunch of other teams in terms of growing payrolls. It's almost as if this whole aspect of the Orioles don't spend money may be misconceived. That doesn't fit with the narrative, Scott. Yeah. Well, we may be able to change that narrative in the next few weeks, depending on how the hot stove actually goes. You want to go through what's happened so far and maybe the Christmas wish list for the Baltimore Orioles? Let's wish our listeners some off-season's greetings. All right, so we're entering in to the offseason, and finally, moves are being made. Let's talk about the one move that's official. Mark Trumbo has joined the Baltimore Orioles after being traded from the Seattle Mariners. Um, he is entering into a one-year deal with arbitration that's expected to net him around $9 million, according to Major League Baseball trade rumors. Jake is part of that package that went back to the Seattle Mariners. The Seattle Mariners acquired, wait, is this right? Steve Clevenger? Pride of Pigtown, Steve Clevenger. You know, when when this happened, a lot of people, I'm sure they asked you the same thing. A lot of people asked me, what, what do you think of this move? What do you think of this move? And I got to tell you, if this is the centerpiece of the Orioles offseason, I hate this move. I hate it. However, if this is part of a greater plan, if there are other moves that are made, if this is simply one of the things that happens, I actually kind of like this move. No, no, that's not fair. I actually kind of love this move if it's just one of the things. Because look... Matt Wieters took the qualifying offer. Steve Clevenger was going to be squeezed out because I don't want Steve Clevenger as my left-handed DH. I think he's a serviceable catcher, probably at the major league level, but no more than that. And so the team used him as an asset to go get something they needed. And I thought that was great. Yeah, I'll miss a Baltimore native. It's a great story. But at the same time, I like the fact that they used an asset that they had that didn't fit what they, what they needed right now. And they went out and got something that they did need. Let's talk Steve Clevenger. Steve Clevenger, again, no options remaining. He can't go down to Norfolk, so he would have had to have been on this roster. Number two, he's a 30-year-old catcher. He's right there with Caleb Joseph. Uh, realistically, he doesn't really have a future on this team. If anything, he was going to be a left-handed bat, which the Orioles are solely in need for. So perhaps he could have been a left-handed first baseman catcher. But there was also a reason why they were also trying to kick Steve Clevenger off and say, hey, could you play second base? Hey, could you play in the outfield? They were trying to find a role for them, him, and they couldn't figure it around it. 
Mark Trumbo fits a much more necessary role for this team. He can serve as a first baseman, which is his best uh, option for this team. He can serve as a DH, or he could serve as a corner outfielder, which, again, is not a great choice. But if you look at his defensive metrics in terms of being Mark Trumbo, he's actually you know a similar defensive performer compared to Chris Davis. Big, lumbering guy, makes some goofy plays sometimes, but occasionally he'll make a really nice play. The big difference, of course, is in terms of the offense, where Chris Davis is normally around 120 to 140 weighted runs created plus. Mark Trumbo next year is projected to be around 108 weighted runs created plus. So he's about you know 8% better than the standard Major League Baseball player. Um, and where that projects in terms of first baseman is he would put him right around the mid-tier, 15th to 18th. Uh, in 2015. So it's certainly not a top first baseman in Major League Baseball, but a serviceable one nonetheless. Here's the thing that you're really getting with Trumbo. He's the 24th player in ISO, which is isolated power. To put that in perspective, folks, Jones was 23rd on this list over the past three years. So you could easily see Mark Trumbo coming up and getting the same power production that Jones gets in terms of extra base hits. That's interesting to me. Yeah, and, and I love all of that. Here's the thing, though. That only works if we're not giving up a lot more runs on the pitching front. And if we're not bringing Chris Davis back, if Mark Trumbo is the replacement for Chris Davis, the team has to continue to go out and get other pieces that can be productive in that lineup right? so that he is a complementary player and doesn't have to shoulder the load. Because I don't think that Mark Trumbo, and he's look, he's a, he's a nice player, but I don't think he's the centerpiece of a lineup. So this move can be great if the Orioles don't close up shop for the offseason. Right, and I think we already know that they already have other um, pieces that are missing in this lineup in general. We'll cover those at the a little bit later on. Um, but the other news that came out this week was Darren O'Day uh, on Sunday was reported to, well, let's just say the media reported that it was down to the O's and Nats on Saturday. Sunday morning comes out. And it says, oh, Day has decided to re-sign with the Orioles. And everyone in the Birdland goes crazy and says, oh, this is great. You know, we got a great deal. A uh, reported deal was like 4 for 31. And then Darren O'Day goes to Twitter and says, hey, I appreciate all the positivity. But I'm not, womp, womp. Yeah, I'm not saying agreement is in place. But, you know. There were plenty of national beat writers out there putting it. Uh, there was team officials and also team media sources such as Rockabaco, um, Pete Kurzel from Masson as well put something out there. It, it all seemed like everything was in place except for maybe language of contract and maybe some um, perks of the contract like, hey, if you get you know so many you know shutdown innings or so many saves, you'll get a performance bonus on top of this. You get snow cones after the yeah. game. Yeah. I, I think the the other big... Solo wheels, I believe, is what he would get, actually. <laughs> I think the 400-pound gorilla is the physical. You know, O'Day is, what, 34? Yeah. So he'll be 38 at the conclusion. I, I don't think there's any reason to say that the Orioles are being difficult by saying they have to put their players through the through a physical, especially in this case. Um, many have said, and, and actually the Orioles Hangout uh, Twitter account tweeted at us, that it could be as late as Friday to get that physical take taken care of because the Orioles team doctors are in Nashville right. for the winter meetings. I thought they also made a great point, too. Um, and again, this probably goes back to you should be following Orioles on Hangout and also check out their forums as well. Uh, but they also posted saying they may not want to be signing O'Day this week um, because you also have the Rule 5 draft coming up on Thursday. There's not a necessary need to fill a roster spot at this point. 
if you're going to also fill somebody and put somebody on the Rule 5 draft as well, which, of course, the Orioles are going to select somebody. You know, this really smacks. And by the way, four years, $31 million is a lot of money for a reliever. It is. It is a lot. And don't get me wrong. O'Day is a great reliever, and I want him back. Yes. But that is a crap ton of money for a reliever. It is a lot of money, especially for a, a, a team that generally has payroll restrictions. I mean, for example, we just discussed it. Um, if they were to bring back Davis, they had $140 million. They were $120 million last year. So we would blow up their budget. Right now with signing Darren O'Day and signing Mark Trumbo, you're bordering very close right now to being what payroll was at the end of last year. I think we're right at like $113, $114 million. But wait a minute. The Orioles still seem to have some needs. Can, can we look for a second at their shopping list for what they had to accomplish in this offseason? Sure. So we've got two corner outfielders that you need to fill in. Uh, you've got a starting pitching to replace Wei Yan Chen. And uh, if you don't think Mark Trumbo is the option at first base, then you also have a first baseman. So I, I think the big option, and it comes back to is not having that Trumbo be the last piece, is you've got to go out and find a corner outfielder. Last year, not having a corner outfielder um, was a huge issue for this team, and it was readily apparent by basically everyone always trying to come in. And we had the Travis Snyder experiment. No one seemed to have an answer for it. They do have Nolan Reimold on the team again this year after tendering him arbitration. I was surprised. Were you surprised that they tendered Nolan Reimold a contract? Um, At $1.3 million, by the way. Yeah, I, I'm a little... Actually, they didn't tender him an arbitration. They actually signed him to a contract to mm -hmm. avoid arbitration. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm a little surprised. Um, also, it's a little higher than was expected on MLB N trade rumors. $900,000. $900,000 was the expected value. I'm a little surprised. Um, but obviously, the Orioles saw something at the end of the year with Reimold and said, hopefully we can catch Magic in the can again. I personally don't think it's a great move, but it's a very low-risk reward, similar to signing like Delman Young last year. Very low-risk reward. Look, I, I think most of Birdland likes the story with Nolan Reimold. I, I think Except that, for the doctors at Johns Hopkins. Right. I think a lot of people are in love with the player that he was for half of 2009. Yeah. And you see flashes of it. Right. You really do. At, at times, for a week or two at a time, he is that player again. And maybe that's enough to be a fourth outfielder. But here's the deal. Signing, and again, signing Nolan Reimold only makes sense if you're going to go out and Garden get corner out. outfielders. So I guess the question comes back to is if you want a significant contribution piece to go into the outfield, um, there, there are names out there. There are some that are going to say you should still go out and get Chris Davis because he can play first base and outfield. But I think you and I are both on the same opinion that Chris Davis should not be in the outfield. He's not a legitimate outfielder. There is one person in this world that claims that Chris Davis is an outfielder. Is that Buck Walter? It's Scott Boris. Okay. <laughs> but I guess the question is, if you're going to go out and pay Chris Davis, let's say 22 to $25 million, is there a better option out there in the market? The one question I would raise is, you've got Jason Hayward out there. And you've got Alex Gordon out there. Both left-handed hitters. Both are going to get around that 20 to $23 million annual value. Alex Gordon's going to get it for four to five years. Jason Hayward's going to probably get it for at least eight years, being only 26 years old. Um, are you interested in either of those players over a Chris Davis? I We may differ here, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. So By all means, we probably are going to differ. Uh, if you're going to spend that much money, if you're going to go over the $20 million mark, yeah. I go Chris Davis. If you're, if you're going to spend that money, I go Chris Davis. And, and I say that because I think that there are serviceable outfielders that you can get. 
and I and I don't mean the Travis Snyder's of the world, right. but I think you can you can build a serviceable outfield and bring back a Chris Davis, who, as we've talked about, has the fan favorite thing going on. He'll sell tickets, and whereas he could every bit have a 2013 in him or several still, he'll probably also have a bunch of 2012s. And if he can if he can continue to have somewhere between 2012 and 2015, that'll be good. It'll be good. Um, again, it gets into the question of if you're going to give him a five-year deal, what's he going to look like in year four and five? Yeah. Whereas with Jason Hayward, for example, if you give him an eight-year deal, um, he's only going to be 34 years old at the time. Yeah, there will be regression, but the thing is, I think the value is a lot higher for Jason Hayward over a Chris Davis. Now, I will say that that the $20 million average may look better if you do a huge deal, like 8 or $10 million. Sure. In that in that end of the contract, it'll look better. I don't want to... Not to mention, it also frees up the aspect of you could even come back and say, we want to do a low contract for 2016 in order to not have so much cash be in the first year and then defer it out for later seasons as well. I hesitate to ask this question. Let sure. me do it. Is there any chance that Hayward becomes a Nick Markakis? Oh, there's definitely a possibility. So the big concern with Jason Hayward is um, he has had back issues in the past, so he could definitely have similar health issues and that that 8- to 10-year contract could be a looming albatross for any team that signs him. And I'm not sure I want to spend you know 20 per on a guy whose defense is going to be his calling card and his offense may suffer for that long of a contract. Yeah, I completely understand that. And again, if you don't want that long of a contract, then maybe you go out and consider getting Alex Gordon in its replacement um, and seeing how that goes. Um, I mean, these are both two options. Again, the Orioles really don't have anybody in payroll past the 2018 mm-hmm. standpoint. So if you want to put money in for the long term, the long term contract should either be Manny Machado or a star player. Jason Hayward could be that star. Um, Jason Hayward, in terms of numbers, is very similar to Adam Jones. 2012, 121 weighted runs created plus. 2013, 120 weighted runs created plus. 2014, 110. 2015, 121. This is a player that if he comes to Camden Yards, he's typically hitting 23 home runs. He's going to hit upper 20s, lower 30s home runs. He's going to be very similar to an Adam Jones, but with a better plate discipline, having a higher walk percentage than Adam Jones. He's a perfect player to insert into the number one or two hole with a 350-ish on base percentage. All right. All of those things sound good. Yeah. So now I'm going to need you to talk me to Alex Gordon, and here's what I've got. Okay. I need you to overcome this for me. Tell me how I need to wash the Royals taint off of Alex Gordon. Uh, The way you're going to wash the taint off of Alex Gordon is you're getting a player that is going to be getting, again, around 350 on-base percentage and probably has some of the best defensive numbers out of anybody in the outfield. He's a gold-glover. He blows Nick Markakis away defensively. Sorry, Orioles fans. It's true. And he's just a premier nice guy. If you ever hear Alex Gordon give an interview on MLB Network, he's just generally a nice guy. Alex Gordon could easily be a great, what were they talking about last year? A clubhouse presence. Alex Gordon is that clubhouse presence that was perhaps missing when Nelson Clears left. Alex Alex Gordon would be an excellent addition for this team. I just listened to an interview on MLB Network Radio where uh, they interviewed uh, Ned Yost, who said almost word for word what you said, that he is a clubhouse leader, very quiet. He's not a rah-rah guy, but he's, he's the guy that that clubhouse depends on. And a high character guy, so I hear you there. All right, those those are 
those are at the top level. Absolutely. Those guys, Justin Upton. By the way, they keep linking Justin Upton to the Orioles. I don't see it at all. That's not happening. No, there's That's no way. Happening. Again, Justin Upton, right-hander. The Orioles need left-handed bats in their lineup right now. You're looking at left-handers right now. Alex Gordon's one. Jason Hayward's going to be the other one. What happens in the Tier 2 market? So the only other individual that I think is worth even having a conversation about is Denard Spann, who is another left-hander again. High on-base percentage, easy club year leadoff hitter, just not quite as good as a Jason Hayward or an Alex Gordon. And again, some health concerns. Not as healthy. um, With the hips um, coming off last year. But maybe that lets you sign a smaller contract for less years, which is a big concern for you and for Orioles fans as well. Scott, the hips don't lie. Uh, But the thing is, is that if you're going to get a guy like uh, Span, I think that you need to have a good backup plan. Yeah. And while we talk about these huge contracts, I mean, again, throw Chris Davis out for just this discussion. Hayward and Gordon would be huge contracts for the Orioles. Sure. We need two outfielders. We need two corner outfielders. Sure. So regardless of what they do in the one location, what do you do about the second corner outfielder spot? Well, you know, I think Nolan Rommel can be that third corner outfield spot. I mean, really, I, I do think he can be that third corner outfield spot to uh, to a certain aspect. I, I would, and I know people are going to hate this. I would do a platoon situation just like we had last year with the Travis Snyder experiment. I'd be looking at Matt Joyce. Matt Joyce had a terrible season last year, but Matt Joyce has perennially been a great player. He probably will command, you know, a one-year, three or four million dollar deal. Could be a really cheap option, and you could do a platoon situation between Reimold and Matt Joyce, and also from a DH standpoint, and make a pretty nice uh, third outfielder, in my opinion. All right, look, you're a very smart guy, and you you often best me in these arguments, but I cannot for a second think that the Orioles could bring in a player who had a terrible year last year and pair him with Nolan Reimold, who I like but has never stayed healthy, and and convince me that they're doing anything but trying to make a method out of hope. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I think especially after the horrible failures of not bringing in somebody to replace knowns like Nelson Cruz and Nick Marcakis, that they can't go that route again. And I know that they can't get superstars in every yeah. position. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like you need to bring in somebody that is going to be capable in that position. I, I, I think that's a very dangerous path for the Orioles. And, and you might be right. Like it, That may be the, yeah. the path to go. The aspect is you're going to get to a certain point where you cannot continue to throw money at it. Uh, if you want to, you're going to have to just rely on your farm system. And you're talking about Dario Alvarez in reality. Which, again, just indicates the lack of depth that you have in your farm system, which, again, if we're talking about lack of depth in your farm system in terms of the outfielder standpoint, it kind of comes back to the reason, why don't you go ahead and offer a four-year or an eight-year deal to a superstar outfielder? Because it's not like there's going to be a great outfielder coming up in a year or two to replace them. This is a player that's going to be here for several years. You know what Dan Duquette has told me? Okay. He's taking me aside and he said, look, listen, Jake, we've done some work and you need to know something. You are going to love LJ Hose. Oh, okay. That's that's actually maybe a possibility that LJ Hose is the guy, but based off all his numbers over the past few years, uh, I don't see it whatsoever. I think I might be in the crowd with the pitchforks and the torches and the angry dogs if LJ Hose is the starting left fielder for the Baltimore Orioles. Again, it doesn't really make sense. Again, you got LJ Hose, who's a right hander. Nolan Reimold is going to be filling a similar role to an LJ Hose. I, I just don't see how the two can interact both in the same way. Uh, I think it's one or the other. I think LJ Hose goes to, you know, the minor leagues and works on a contract just like he has right now. Sure. 
All right. So we've we've talked corner outfield. I, I, I think what we've come out to is you are under the impression that Chris Davidson is going to happen, so we need to make a splash in the outfield. Yeah, I think that you need to make a big splash as a left-handed outfield bat. I'd go Jason Hayward in a heartbeat. Uh, Alex Gordon would be my fallback plan. If you have to go Denard Span, that's fine. It's a very conservative move, but me, I'm going all chips in and going Jason Hayward. You can't tell me that you wouldn't want to have Jason Hayward, Adam Jones, and Manny Machado being your three, four, five hitters. That's pretty darn good. That is pretty yeah. darn good. All right, but outfielder's not the only spot that the Orioles have to fill. No, absolutely not. What else we got going on? Uh, so we've got other things. I guess the big thing would be starting pitching. What Are you telling me that last year, with the Orioles scoring as many runs as they scored in 2014, a year in which they won 96 games, that they're going to need to pitch? And not to mention they're going to need to replace their best pitcher in William Chen. So the question is, who do you go out and get to replace William Chen, who's probably going to be getting somewhere around a four-year, 60 to $70 million deal. That's a lot of money for Wei and Chen. What do you do about bringing in another pitcher? Personally, me, I go out and get Scott Casimir. We've talked about this before on the show. You're probably going to get around three years for $42 million. He's averaged around a 2.8 average war from Fangrass um, over the past few years. He's got a little bit of an issue with the age and having a reduced strikeout tendencies, but he's my guy. Um, the Orioles have been linked to Giovanni Gerardo. I hate Giovanni Gerardo with a passion. He reminds me of a Baldo Menez. Absolutely dumpster fire ready to happen. No, I hate him because he hit a double off of us to win a game oh, in a National that. League game. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm no good after that. Yeah, so Scott Casimir is the guy that I want to see the Orioles target. All right, let's talk about Scott Casimir because sure. Scott Casimir was my guy two years ago. Yeah. All right? That was a great pickup Yep. Uh, to, to go after Scott Casimir. Does he still have it? Uh, is it still in the tank? Is he a, a premier option? Not Maybe not tier one like a Granky or a Price, but is he a guy you should go after or do you need to be concerned? I think you have to be a little concerned about the workload and in innings. Uh, he's also dropped down the strikeouts like we talked about. But again, you look at his last three years, 2.7 war, 3.2 war, and 2.4 war. Um, pretty darn good in my opinion. Uh, and also, you know, he's got to have a great defense going against him as well. I think that Scott Casimir could thrive um, with the Baltimore Orioles. Maybe not as that ace player, but again, he's going to be a serviceable number two or number three starting pitcher. All right. What other names do you have there on the market that you think makes sense for the Orioles to uh, to go after? Uh, well, Mike Leak is out there, but he has indicated that he's going to stay on the West Coast. So anybody that thinks that the Orioles should go out and sign Mike Leak, I think that's kind of out of the question. Smaller name players that, well, they're not even small name players. They're just players that are going to go for a one-year deal. I think Doug Fister, Cliff Lee, and Henderson Alvarez are very interesting contracts to take a look at. Doug Fister scares me based on the loss he lost. He's pitching in the mid-80s right now. Looks like someone that could get absolute hammered in the American League East. And Cliff Lee and Henderson Alvarez is being looked at by basically half of Major League Baseball because they are uh, going to be worth very little, but they're going to be high ceiling, high uh, high reward players. Uh, I would love to see Henderson Alvarez sign with this team. Let me let me ask you this, and this is a name that has been linked to the Orioles for as long as I can remember. Okay. Is Cliff Floyd still a free agent? No. We're not talking about Cliff Floyd. Why are we not talking about Cliff Floyd? Because we're not talking about Cliff Floyd. We're moving on from that. But, but Henderson Alvarez is an interesting candidate. He's definitely coming back from injury. But in the previous season, 187 innings pitched for the Marlins at a 2.1 uh, war. Again, low strikeout, 
very similar to like a Miguel Gonzalez uh, type pitcher. But here's the thing that interests me. He's got a 53% ground ball rate. With this team, uh, with that kind of ground ball rate, uh, really great pitcher to have for the Orioles. And not to mention minimization of the home run ball. Um, over the past three seasons, he's had a 7.8% home run per fly ball. I'll take that any day uh, in Camden Yards. All right. here Here's a question for you, and I feel like it's a gimme. Wei-Yin Chen is left. Yes. We need to replace him. Yeah. Is that the only starting pitcher that we need to acquire? No. We have Brian Mattis. <laughs> Looking at the... <laughs> You, you've got the wrong podcast yeah. for that. Um, looking at the starting pitching that's on this team, I'm not convinced that we need to simply replace Wei and Chen. I, I think that the Orioles need to go out and get two starter starting pitchers because the the other four guys didn't have it going on. Not only did they not have it going on, I, I, I think I've lost my trust in a guy that I've really enjoyed watching pitching in the last few years, which is Miguel Gonzalez. Okay. The thing is, though, Miguel Gonzalez is dirt cheap. So the question is, if Miguel Gonzalez is that dirt cheap, who are you going to go get that's going to be equal in that kind of salary range? Probably no one. And the other aspect is you're already bordering against payroll limitations as it is. In fact, you've already surpassed it in all reality. Do you really think you can go out and actually get rid of Miguel Gonzalez and actually go out and get someone more expensive? I think you've you've nailed the question. I don't think that the Orioles can compete with the money that has been traditionally allocated to only get one starting pitcher. Well, I mean, the thing is, though, if we go back to corner outfielder, let's go with Denard Span because he's the cheapest option. That's $12 million. We go with Scott Casimir. Again, that's going to be, let's say it's $15 million. Um, so right there, we're at you know another 27 to $30 million on top of the 115 that you just spent. You're at $145 million. That is a huge jump over the $120 million. Where is the, where, how much money are we planning to spend this year? Well, clearly all of it. All and, of it and, yeah. I, and I hear that. I hear that. But what, spend what, the money, old man, what, says Orioles Facebook. What you're saying to me as a, as a very rational person, by the way, I get that argument. I hear you. But what you're saying to me is I'm going to go replace Wei Yin Chen and I'm going to hope that Chris Tillman bounces back. Yeah. And I'm going to hope that Miguel Gonzalez kind of pulls himself out of that tailspin. And I'm going to hope that that uh, Gosman actually flourishes into a real pitcher. I mean, these are all hopes that fright. And, and I'm going to hope right. that Obaldo Jimenez is the guy that we that, saw last yeah, year and not the, the pothole guy. guy. Right. I, again, these are all, all very real dangers. These are all real dangers. And again, these are all concerns. But, and this is my but for you, you take, I like that book. Yeah, exactly. You have to take a look at starting pitching to a certain aspect. Look at the Kansas City Royals last year. The Kansas City Royals starting pitching overall was pretty mediocre. I think they ranked like 18th in all of Major League Baseball. Not a great team. Even after they got Johnny Cueto, not a great team in terms of starting pitching. But again, their bullpen helped to keep them in games. And good timely defense and timely hitting helped to get them basically to the World Series. With the bullpen that they're that the Orioles are at right now, with Darren O'Day, Zach Britton, Mikael Givens, and Brad Brock, the Orioles can somewhat be a middle of the road rotation. In fact, a middle of the road rotation has actually done pretty well. We've talked about this before when the Orioles have had poor rotations in the past. If you are in the top fifteen for starting pitching, you generally have a pretty good chance to get to be a playoff team if you've got a good bullpen and a power hitting team. The Orioles could easily be another power-hitting team and a good bullpen next year and put together a 
playoff stretch. I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but they could easily compete with teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Blue Jays next year. All right. I hear you. I, I just, all, if that's going to happen, all we can do is hope. Lastly, we have first base. We're going to talk a little bit about Chris Davis. It's going to be Mark Trumbo, if not Chris Davis. Yes? Yes. That is the backup plan? That is the backup plan, unless you believe that Christian Walker is also going to be up here. In that case, I think it's time for an important news bulletin. From the WBEV News Desk, it's time for the Chris Davis Watch. Scott, I've missed this. I missed the Brian Roberts watch. It used to be like, it used to be the most identifiable bird's eye view shtick. I really miss Brian Roberts' wife. You're right. You do. You yes. do. The Brian Roberts watch was a key component of this podcast when we started because the thing was, is we never really knew what the story was with, with Brian Roberts. Was he? Wasn't he? Would he be? Would he not be? And we're there. We're there now with Chris Davis. For a time, it was briefly the Nick Marcakis watch, but we are in the thick of the Chris Davis watch. So let's do that. Let's talk it out. Let's get through this Chris Davis situation. We just said the Orioles have their fallback position. If Chris Davis does not return, their first baseman will be Mark Trumbo. Um, and so I'll, I'll put it out there. There's a lot of money going out the door, as you just said. Yeah. Do the Orioles, with the shopping list that they still have in front of them, do they have the flexibility to be in the running in the Chris Davis market? They have the flexibility. I just don't know if it's the right move to make. Um, it goes back to that Dan Zembrowski tweet, which is if you go back and get the same team that you did last year, you're at $142 million and you're the same team, and you're still replacing Wee and Chen. I don't think going out and signing Davis for $25 million is the right move now. Uh, I think it's an opportunity to go out and get a nice corner outfielder for the future. And Chris Davis can be, I don't want to say replaced. I don't think he can be replaced, but I think there's a better allocation of money in other areas. Okay. I I really want Chris Davis back, but most of that is because when he signs for the Orioles, my heart grows three sizes yeah. that day. Um, and, and you like I, dongs. And, and I do. I love the dongs. And I'm willing to admit that. Like, I'm willing to admit that, yes, he's a good player. He's probably the he's, he is the premier power bat on the market. Sure. So it's not insane to want him. Yeah. Because there are a lot of fans across the country that want him. Yeah. But I want him because of the the love. Yeah. I, I want him anyway. I I do want to just recap where we are. And I, I read in the most recent uh, blog post uh, by Rock Kabako on this subject. I know him. Yeah. Yeah. It was from today. Yeah. Um, and and there were some interesting nuggets in that in that post, and I just want to run through them. First of all, the known suitors that we have for the Orioles or for Chris Davis are the Orioles, very obviously. Sure. Um, the Cardinals have been linked to to Chris Davis. Also, the Astros. Yep, that seems to make sense. Astros makes a lot of sense, as well as as Kabako noted today, the Tigers. Yeah. So I, I just want to break that down a little bit. I mean, the the issues really are. Are the Cardinals really serious about Chris Davis? Yes or no? And I, and I don't know if that's the case. Are the Astros going to spend the money? Yep. And then do the Tigers really value a first base? Because the thing is, is that with Miggy and with uh, Victor Martinez, do you really want to lock somebody into first base? Because that's where you're going to need to throw somebody that in the aging part of their career, like in Miguel Cabrera or Victor Martinez, you need to put those big bats in there. Sure. 
I mean, personally, I, I look at that name and the Tigers, I think, are starting to get away from spending the big money. I think they gotta, they're going to have to spend the big money if they want to compete because they're pretty much at the twilight of you know that team right now where they're going to have to go into rebuilding mode. I look at the Cardinals and the Astros, and I'll take the Cardinals first. I think if Jason Hayward signs with somebody else, I think Chris Davis goes to the Cardinals. So it could easily be you know Chris Davis goes to the, the Cardinals after the Orioles sign Jason Hayward. That would be my preference. It's a trade. It's, it's a, a trade. trade. Yeah. But I think, honestly, the place that Chris Davis ends up is going to be the Houston Astros. It makes all the sense in the world with Chris Carter being gone. The Astros just traded John Singleton, who's one of their first basemen. Putting Chris Davis in that lineup with a Carlos Correa uh, would be very interesting. I think Chris Davis could thrive in Houston. I think the Astros are going to spend the money, and I think they're going to go out and get Chris Davis. And I don't think Chris Davis is going to go for as much money as most people think. I think he's going to go for... 21 or 22 million dollars annual value for four or five years and don't take for granted chris davis is a texan yep exactly and that does help so i, I think it's interesting that the market for davis has been very slow moving um the Orioles have obviously put an offer into davis um but there it doesn't seem to be a lot of noise and activity around like you said a top 10 free agent that being said though there hasn't been a lot of noise around jason hayward as well I was really surprised by the fact that the Orioles had a an offer on the table. Like they said that yeah. we offered Chris Davis a contract. Yeah. At this point, yeah, qualifying offer. <laughs> at this point, yeah, right. That that you know what you may have nailed it. That may be the issue. But at this point, I find it interesting that the Orioles have laid out their offer. They've also continued to move on with their their off season. Um. I don't get the impression that Davis has a ton of offers out there. I'm surprised that there's no the real market for Davis. It may be that he just needs to wait until some other outfielders start to get signed. And waiting is not something that Scott Boris is afraid of. Well, look, I mean, we all understand the aspect of Davis with the power, but we also have to also give consideration to Davis strikes out a ton. And when there was a running joke, of course, last year when Davis wasn't doing so great about how much he struck out. Look, he's going to be a 180 to 200 strikeout player. He strikes out probably 30% of the time um, going forward. And that is going to get worse and worse and worse as the years pile on and pile on. So the question is, which team can take that on and be okay with it? The Astros obviously have no issue with that. They have gone with this whole, we're going to hit for power or we're going to strike out. And sometimes it works and they're absolutely impossible to beat. And sometimes they strike out and they're a really easy team to beat. It's ebbs and flow. The Cardinals, on the other hand, who I think is another great target, has no offensive power whatsoever because there's no one on that team. So they're going to need to get some offensive production, even though the team had 100 wins last year. I think it was the first time a team that had scored, uh, had 100 wins and scored on average less than four runs per game, which is unbelievable. Um, so it, it, like I said, there there's definitely a market for him out there from a power standpoint. You also have to understand, though, that there is a danger of signing Chris Davis. Oh, sure. Uh, all of those clubs need to to do the antithesis of the the Giants, which is every other year, Chris Davis has been really good right. in the last four years. And there are there there is the risk of twenty thirteen showing its ugly head again. Right. And you also have the situation too with first baseman in decline. Once they hit their mid thirties with Albert Pujols, Mark Shashera, Prince Fielder, um, these are all players that see Evan flows up, up, down, up, down. The question is as a team, can you afford an up-down season if you're going to be spending $25 million on him? I'm not sure if you can survive. Uh, you, if you're going to pay $25 million, you pretty much have to have guaranteed production. 
which is why I think the corner outfielders are a much better option. Because again, defense doesn't automatically go away overnight. It normally maintains itself over multiple years. Sure, it'll slowly regress over time, but it's a lot more consistent than power upon power upon power. Right, and whereas Chris Davis is an above-average first baseman, we don't need him to be a great defender. Right. There was a scary rumor, though, today that came out. This this was a very scary rumor. Right. So there was a, tw- a tweet that came out from uh, Burger underscore B-Y-T-E-S, which was a Toronto beat writer, and he made the indication that um, there was a linkage in terms of Chris Davis and the Blue Jays potentially discussing a contract. So, Jake, is there anything more horrific than Chris Davis ending up with the Blue Jays. Is that the worst team he could end up with? I think you're looking at this all wrong. Okay. I think the the worst thing is not Chris Davis signing with the Blue Jays. Here's the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is Chris Davis signing with the Blue Jays and then Darren O'Day breaking down whatever negotiations were going on with the Orioles, publicly making up with Jose Bautista and joining the Blue Jays and seeing both of those players pummel the Orioles into submission in 2016 and breaking my heart in the process. I honestly can't imagine a lineup with Josh Donaldson, Troy Tolowitzki, Edward Ancanesian, Jose Bautista, and Chris Davis in it. I just can't imagine a lineup looking like that. I can. And here's the thing. 19 times a season, it would be a day that would live in infamy. All right. Well, what is the best case for you if he's not going to be an Oriole? What team do you want to go to say him play on? If the if the Orioles cannot sign Chris Davis, I want him way the heck out of the way. I want him signed in the National League so that we don't have to see. Here's the thing. If he signs in the National League club, we're not going to see him except for the every three or four years or whatever that, that team shows up to Camden Yards, at which point he'll be welcomed as a hero, as a beloved former Oriole. He'll get a standing ovation. It'll be all of the feels, all of the warms and fuzzies, right? Sure. If he plays for a West Coast National League team, that's even better. And the reason for that is, is that after the Orioles game is over at 10-something, I can switch over to the MLB network and catch the end of whatever National League West Coast game is being played and see Chris Davis in a high leverage situation hitting all of the dongs. Yeah. And to me, that would be the perfect situation. NL West, out of the way, so that I don't have the heartbreak. Because here's the thing. If he goes to an, an AL East team or, or an AL team with whom the Orioles are going to compete yeah. for the playoffs, that will hurt. Yeah, absolutely. That will hurt a lot. Yeah. So a few, what, what about you? I mean, what, what is the best case scenario for you? The best case scenario for me is uh, Chris Davis goes to the Colorado Rockies. Um, sending him up to Coors Field to hit would be highlight real galore. Again, it satisfies your National League West requirement. And again, you know, normally balls go about another 15 or 20 feet in addition. So Chris Davis hits on the moon is what you're looking Chris for. Chris Davis would be hitting pretty much around, I'm thinking... 65 to 70 home runs in a given season if he goes to course so it makes no sense in the world for the rockies to invest that kind of money except for really cool baseball highlights i like where your head's at i can <laughs> yeah. take that all uh, right what what's the worst scotty uh for worse for me is the blue jays i'm sorry i i don't want to see that lineup ever uh that is a a lineup that i would see like in an mlb 2k16 game that someone was stacking the deck against me right. and trying to beat me I don't want to see that. That would be 
an absolute bear to go and play the Blue Jays. And, you know, they're such a graceful, classy team that I just, I just couldn't see that happening. That would be interesting, though, wouldn't it? Because Chris Davis, I mean, part of the reason I want him back, I think he's a nice guy. I think that in addition to the fact that he can hit a baseball farther than a human being should be allowed to do, he's a legitimately nice guy. Can you imagine a game in which the Orioles and the Blue Jays play a heated uh, battle, you know, uh, match in which people are thrown at each other and the benches clear. I mean, what what's Chris Davis going to do in that situation? He's going to destroy everybody else in the Orioles because there's no one half his size. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I agree with you. I think the Blue Jays would be the worst case scenario. I don't think we need to worry about the Yankees or the Red Sox. I think those those two have spent to the point that that they're not going to sign at Chris Davis. And I think if you go back, we had a similar conversation as to what's the worst team you can imagine winning the World Series. It's been the three teams we've mentioned so far, plus the Nationals and the Royals, and that already happened. Right. So neither of those teams, I think, are, are in the running either. Just stay out of the American League, uh, Chris, but also come back to the Orioles. But I actually would like to see them in the Astros, but that's just me. No. Okay. No, can't do that. All right. Uh, you want to blow the save this week? I would love to blow the save. All right, I'm going to blow the save this week. And we talked a little earlier in the program about the date. The date, of course, being December 7th, the day that will live in infamy. Um, but I think a more important date coming up is tomorrow. No, not more important, but another interesting date is tomorrow december 8th december 8th 1980 is the day that if i had the delorean if i had the time machine if i had just one chance to change a moment in history this would be it december 8th 1980 in front of the dakota john lennon shot down by mark david chapman huge loss for the human race as a fine musician, a cultural leader, shot down for no good reason. Do yourself a favor. Grab yourself, not a Beatles album, grab yourself a John Lennon solo album and listen to it front to back and just enjoy. And with that, Scott, I have nothing remaining. Nothing at all. Well, there is an event happening this weekend that probably should get mentioned. Yeah, so this Saturday, FanFest, we will be there. Uh, come say hi to us. To, um, you can find our pictures, so, yeah. But we'll be posting on Twitter and stuff like that of where we are at. But we'll probably just be meandering around. So just can you say, hey, I know you guys. I listen to you. Or don't and just talk to your friends and say, those, those weirdos that talk on the radio all the time. Um, anything else going on, Jake? Not at all. With that... Baltimore and beyond, I, I think I must spend this time bidding you a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore, and let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home.
Go.